Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indie Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. The show, as always, is Greg Doyle. And man, I say this every week, I feel like, and, and this will probably slow down eventually here. Like when we get into July, I know the summer months are a little bit slow, but when I send you the show rundown every single week, I always feel like I'm leaving stuff out. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much to get to. Like, we could just do a podcast, I feel like. We could just do 30 minutes on Anthony Costanzo and Colts Free Agency. We're going to get to other stuff, but it just feels like there's so much going on. It's all happening at once, and we were supposed to tape this this morning. We're talking right now on Tuesday, and you call me after the Costanzo deal drops and say, hey, he's talking here. I got to write about it, and so... Uh, this is actually good, though, to delay it so we can get to the biggest news of the day, which is Costanzo's decision to retire. Yeah, that is good. It worked out well. And, yeah, your your show rundown, of course, you're you're meticulous, and people that listen to you much know you're kind of odd like that. But it's good for me, but you're odd. But, anyway, your rundown, you don't even mention the Pacers, and not because you forgot them, but just because there's like eight things going on bigger right now than the Pacers. And the Pacers are plenty big. Yeah, but IU Purdue this week, and then the Colts are like number one through seven this off season. This is the biggest. Oh hell, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. This is a big off season. I, I, it can't be any bigger than some of the last two or three. But this is a huge. They all are, but this is a big one. It's just going to stay big, Greg, until they figure out a long term solution to quarterback, right? Yes. I mean, every off season, every off season is big until they find whoever the next guy is. Yeah, I wonder if if after Luck's 2018 season. Of course, before you know he did what he did, I wonder if we were saying this is the biggest offseason yet. I mean, it was a big one because I thought, hey, they're a step away from the Super Bowl. But when you've got luck or you've got whoever you think you have a quarterback, everything else is a detail. It really is. I mean, now we know that. Let's, hopefully we can remember this five years from now if their quarterback is in place for the next decade. We cannot talk about offseasons being enormous. They're big. This one's enormous. Let's tackle the Anthony Costanzo thing. No pun intended, of course. Uh, formerly a left tackle. It makes me feel old to think that Anthony Costanzo played 10 seasons because I remembered when he was a, a doughy rookie out of BC on that 2011 team that, of course, was a total trash fire with uh, the, the Peyton Manning neck surgeries. And that, that, of course, predates your arrival here in Indianapolis, Greg. But um, I've always had a, just a huge respect level for Anthony Costanzo. He is the ultimate guy's guy. He's just a dude. He's just a dude who happens to be big and be a really good football player, but a guy who I think it fans here and even media, uh, you know, I fall into this too. I think it took us all collectively a really long time to appreciate just how good and reliable of a player Anthony Costanza was. And, and I'll miss that, but I'll miss Anthony Costanza, the person as well, because he was just a regular dude to me. Yeah, Costanzo has had exactly zero Pro Bowls. Zero. And he was an alternate last year, 2019. He was an alternate. What does that mean? Well, Jacoby Brissett was an alternate too. So I'm not sure what that means. But, you know, and I say that, and I I just wrote about Costanzo just now, and hopefully it's up somewhere. If you're listening to this, it's up by now. Hell, it's up right now. Um, That he he was underappreciated for years in part because, and this is from Joe Thomas, the the Browns all-pro left tackle who'll be in the Hall of Fame in a couple years. Costanza was playing in a system where Luck was taking seven-step drops, and then Luck was running around, and Luck got hit a lot. And I'm not saying the line – I'm not trying to rewrite history and say Grigson had a good line. I'm not. But Luck in that system did not make it easy on the line, especially the blindside protector, the left tackle who's trying to block the animals in the league. Luck in the system did not make it easy on Costanzo. Reich has. 
these last three years, it's a three-step drop and get rid of it, that kind of thing. And over the last three years combined, the Colts have given up fewer quarterback sacks than anybody combined. Well, all of a sudden, if, if we're going to trash Costanzo or at least not appreciate him for his first seven years when the opposite was happening, what about now? kind of makes you think that, as I wrote, that the, the word was out on Costanzo. Everybody thought, well, he is what he is. These last three years, I think we've missed the boat a little bit. I, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed for all of us that he hadn't made a Pro Bowl. Yeah, and it's just kind of one of those things, Greg, where it's just all reputation-based. Um, the the gold standard example that I always use, particularly for the Pro Bowl, is Jeff Saturday played his phone with Green and was not close to being the same he was in the twilight of his career. I think even Jeff would admit that he was he was he had declined significantly. And Jeff Saturday made the Pro Bowl. He had a famous uh snap, one last snap to Peyton Manning, where Manning was with the Broncos then and, and then switched sides and went under center with Saturday. And it was it was kind of a cool moment in the Pro Bowl that year. But J- Jeff Saturday wasn't a Pro Bowl caliber player. His last year, he was old and and not the same player. It's just people voted him in because he's Jeff Saturday. We got used to sending Jeff Saturday to the pro. I I think to an extent, you know, not that Quentin Nelson had a bad season. I think Quentin Nelson to an extent was reputation based with some of the accolades that he got this year. Like, I don't, I don't think Nelson, this was clearly to me, his worst of his three seasons. And some of that is injury related and all of that. But Nelson, the secrets out about, and with Costanzo, I think, like you said, everybody made up their minds that he's just a, you know, above average, pretty okay tackle. And then when he was playing at a really high level, we just didn't really back off of that because unlike these other positions, we don't have catches and touchdowns and yards and tackles to go on when we're evaluating these offensive linemen. Yeah, and how many Pro Bowl guys can one line have? You know, they Quentin's going to get it every year. Ryan Kelly lately has been getting them. Yeah. So, you know, voters are human, and they're going to give a team two sometimes. They're not going to give you three. They're just not going to do it. So – Quentin is hurt in a way, not not really, but in a way, Quentin is hurt, just like Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas hurt Costanzo because Thomas kept getting it. There's only in, in the AFC. I mean, how many left tackles get it? Well, every year, one spot was gone. Joe Thomas got it every year. So all of that hurt. Um, I'll say this real quick about Quentin off topic a little bit, but what you just said, I want to tag team on that. He um, This clearly was his worst year of three, clearly. It's quite possible that Quentin Nelson's worst year is still a Pro Bowl year. No, you're that's, right. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm thinking now. Because I've been thinking yeah. if he makes a Pro Bowl, it's a reputation pick. Mm. But it just kind of occurs to me that Quentin Nelson, by his standards, not being as good as he can be, he's still probably a step above almost everybody else anyway. I mean, he he'll be in the Hall of Fame, and a Hall of Fame guy can have a year that's for him pretty good, and that's better than everybody else. No, you're definitely right about that. Um, now in the wake of this, because I don't think the Costanzo news was necessarily a surprise with as close as he was to retiring. Now with this, Greg, I think the Colts are just in a really interesting situation because I think you'd agree with me. This team is full of talent. They have a really nice roster. But unfortunately for them, their three biggest needs are the three biggest and most crucial positions that there are. A quarterback, left tackle, and pass rush. And they don't have any of those right now, at least not long-term solutions at those. You know, first of all, they're going to devote their number one pick this year, barring something weird happening that I, that, you know, you just can't really see. They're going to devote that number one pick to a left tackle. I think they have to because rivers is coming back and you don't draft quarterback first. If rivers is there. Um, So they'll, they'll draft a tackle first, unless they move Quentin to left tackle. 
Costanza was saying today, he, you know, he was asked about what Reich had said a couple days ago. Frank Reich said a couple days ago that, yes, they've considered and talked about Quentin Nelson being a left tackle someday, like permanently. Costanzo said today, kind of almost laughing about it, like, yeah, he'll be just fine at left tackle. So they, they've got those. But, you know, the pass rush thing, and he made just a huge mistake in the playoff game Saturday, Kamoko Ture, just a – just a, d- a dumb mistake. They're clearly trying to draw you off sides, and with one second left in the, in the play clock, you jumped. And that cost the Colts a touchdown, and again, they lost by three. So do the math. Um, Ture, he hadn't stayed healthy. but And I know I know some people don't see this, but I see it. Ture's special. If he can be healthy, he is, he is a problem. He is a problem. So I'm not saying he is their pass rusher, of the future. But if the Colts decide to focus on left tackle and do some other things and kind of just bank on Ture having a breakthrough year, you wouldn't see me get mad at that. I agree that Ture has flash Greg, but the Colts can't afford to just wait around for him to be healthy and consistent. You know what I mean? Like they're in a similar situation with Paris Campbell. Like no one, no one associated with the Colts doesn't think that Paris Campbell is going to be a really good player. The problem is, is, Paris Campbell needs to be on the field. You know what I mean? He's got to be out there or else it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, that's true. You're right. They they can't assume. And, and I don't know, Justin Houston, you know, whether he's back or whether he just finally hits the wall that everybody does hit. If, if you stick around long enough, as Trent Cole found out, unfortunately here, Ooh, you know, yeah. as uh, what's his name? Johnson found out, the receiver, Andre Johnson found out here. If you stick around long enough, you hit the wall. Um I don't know if Justin's year is coming up, but you know we'll find out. So yeah, you're you're right. They they have to do something at pass rusher. They can't just assume they have it on their roster. But you know they've got all kinds of, of big spots they need to fill. I, I think Pittman might be a number one receiver. I think he might be. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you combine him and Campbell, and Campbell stays healthy, between the two of them, you've got two really good two A receivers. And maybe that's as good as having a one and two. Um, but they have at the highest profile spot, like all the foundations in place. But at the highest profile, quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, number one receiver, at those kind of just marquee spots, again, the infrastructure is good. They got the plumbing and electricity, but I'm not sure about their roof and their sidewalk. <laughs> Since you just talked receivers, what do you think they'll end up doing with T.Y.? Do you have a gut feeling either way on that? Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to go. Um, and not because the Colts want him to go or will let him walk away. I think that T.Y., Showed enough in the last three or four games in a league that needs, you know, obviously explosive pass receiving guys. Um, I think that somebody out there who doesn't have much of anything at receiver will will overpay T.Y. It's what happens. I mean, every year a handful of guys get overpaid because it's a premium position and, and people take a shot on maybe he's got something left. You know, it happens. I think someone will overpay and the Colts will not overpay and he'll go play somewhere else. Because T.Y., I don't know how smart he's been with his money. I assume he's been pretty smart. Uh, he's made a fortune, but you know this is his last chance at making some money. Yeah, this is you're it. Right. So he can't, nor should he, give the Colts any kind of a discount. The the most change he can get, he's got to go, and I just don't think he's going to get it here. Yeah, I've kind of felt for a while that Ty's number and the Colts' number is not going to be close enough to make something happen. But I, I would like to see him back just because. There's still so much uncertainty there. You know what I mean? Uh, w- w- especially with Campbell. I agree with you on Pittman. I'm, I'm bullish on Pittman at the very least as a high-end 
second receiver, if not a number one somewhere down the line. But you just don't know with Campbell, and, and the, the rest of it is held together with scotch tape and chewing gum. I mean, no offense to Zach Pascal and Ashton Doolin. Like, those all got, those guys have some skills and, and all of that. But, you know, I, I don't know if those are, like, long-term solutions for you on your wide receiver depth chart outside of guys that are, that are going to be relied on as being threes and fours instead of ones and twos. Um, the other thing that intrigues me about this free agency is the secondary because you took a flyer on Xavier Rhodes and he hit. So if I'm Xavier Rhodes, I'm saying to myself, all right, I'm back. Time for me to get paid again. And the Colts are in a tough spot because Rocky has seen has been very disappointing to this point. Uh, TJ Carey, who filled in admirably, is also a free agent as well. Uh, Odom, who's been a key player for them on special teams and as a depth guy is a free agent. So, you know, that's another spot. I, I think we all know Malik Hooker's gone with the emergence of, of Julian Blackman. But that's another spot, Greg, that to focus on this offseason. Yeah, and again, that's another high profile, you know, that's the front door. That's not, I mean, that's a big, a lockdown corner or even just a good corner. Cause Rocky Sin just, I mean, he's just not it. He's just not it. And, uh, and Xavier Rhodes, I don't know. You know, I mean, he had a nice year. He did. Um, I don't know what he's I'm like. In about his mentality. You know, that's, that's what I, I'm just talking about his mentality. I'm thinking if I'm yeah. him, I bet on myself with this one-year deal, and then I played. I had a really nice season, so now I want to go out and hit the market and see what's out there for me. And someone, much like with T.Y., but a little bit different because Xavier's a little bit younger, um, someone will overpay Xavier Rhodes because I, I think I think he maxed out from what I saw of him, from what I've you know, from talking to him, from what I know about him, what I sense about him. I think he absolutely maxed out this year in every possible way, and there's there's a there's a, a landmine or two in there whether you know, on the field or just maybe he's got some, some, you know, not knucklehead, but maybe there's something in his background, uh, selfishness. I, there's something there. I mean, there's something, and, and to be a great cornerback, you got to have no memory and you got to have all this cockiness. You, you do, I get it. But something about Xavier from the first time I talked to him rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, I could be wrong, but I sense that, like I say, I sense there's something there that needs to be somebody else's problem someday because they don't want it to happen here. That's just a guess, but that's what I think. No, that, that's interesting because I've never, um, I've never gotten the chance to talk with him, so I, I didn't know that. But I do, I do know, obviously, that 2019 was a total disaster for him, and then he came here and, and played well, so we'll see if he can continue that. But corner's another spot where once you're done, you're done, man. You know what I mean? Like, there's no slow progression there with cornerbacks. They go from being elite to being, hey, remember that guy? Like, <laughs> Nabi Asamoah or somebody like that, you know what I mean? They do. Unless you're like Champ Bailey, Charles Woods, there are exceptions to the rule, of course. Um, look, I, I know everyone knows that you're pro them bringing back Rivers. I am also pro them bringing back Rivers. I think that's this, the decision that makes the most sense to me, that has the most continuity. Um, that said, what do you think of the chances that Phillip Rivers is not the Colts starting quarterback in 2021? I mean, I would put it at 20%, 10%. I mean, they're, when a guy's that old and has a job waiting for him and has a son, you know, we don't know how good his son, Gunner, who I think was in eighth grade this year. I don't know what grade he was in. He's around there, and we don't know. If Gunner's ready to be a starting varsity quarterback, whatever age he is, if he's ready, that could impact what Phillip does because Rivers might want to coach Gunner for every year of his varsity career. So th there's some unknown there, some. And there's also some Colts unknown. You know, Ballard and Reich might get together and decide, or at least Ballard might, and say, you know what, we this is the year. that They might like this draft. They might really like uh, Mac, Mac Jones or Kyle Trask 
or um, Trey Lance, North Dakota State, or whichever school he goes to. Never heard of him before last week. But they might like one of those guys who and think they'll be available at 21 or wherever the Colts are picking. I just want to say real quick as an aside, um, I don't like Kyle Trask. I don't like him. And this will suck if he comes here because <laughs> this will follow me. But um, I just don't like him. I don't like his body language. I just don't like him. <laughs> so, and, and it could be that he plays for Dan Mullen, and I hate Dan Mullen. And I'm a Florida grad. Um, I just think Trask is, I don't know. I don't like him. So, if, if Trask is the guy, I could be screwed. But I got to say what I got to say. Have, have you heard anything? Because I'm, I'm assuming you have ties down there. Have you heard from anybody that's had negative, nope. you know, whatever, I can't even, run-ins with I, him or anything like that? I can't even blame it on some anonymous person who told me some things that <laughs> no one else knows. And, and if it turned out to be not true, it doesn't matter. Cause I was hiding. No, I'm not hiding behind anybody. I just, you know, I, I'm not going to be always right. I'm not, but, but I'm right enough about people and who they are and what I think I, I'm my, my, my Malcolm Gladwell blink thing on people for some reasons, pretty good. Not always going to be perfect. But pretty good. So when I've got a pretty strong feeling, the, the thing is I like to do for myself and then out loud is acknowledge that there might be a reason I'm um, biased here. And Dan Mullen sucks. I mean, he's a great coach. But as a human being, as a leader, as the guy at my alma mater, screw Dan Mullen. Um, and Kyle Trask is his guy. And they all and and Kyle Trask likes him a lot. <laughs> Therefore, if you if you play for Florida and you like your head coach, I don't like you. So I don't know. I don't really know what's what's. You know, we're talking a lot about Kyle Trask, who I hope never plays here for a whole all kinds <laughs> of reasons. But that's where that comes from. You take it for what it's worth, people. I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just telling you my my, my read on people is oftentimes right, and I don't have a good read on Kyle Trask. You had to take a uh, whatever it is, ten hour, twelve hour road trip to Oxford, Mississippi, and your choice between Dan Mullen and Greg Schiano, you picking to sit shotgun. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. You know... You, you're riding Shiano. your bike instead? <laughs> no, I, I like Schiano more. Um, okay, wow. I don't like Schiano. I don't like him. The yeah, bar's no, low. I know. For me to like you more than Mullen doesn't take much. You know, there, there are... You know, birds that fly over my car and make a mess of it. I like them more than I like Dan Mullen. So the bar's low, but I definitely like Shiano more than – the question is, who do I like less than Dan Mullen? In major college coaching and, – and football coaches, by definition, there's something to them. You know, to be great, you've you got to be prickly or – I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. I mean, they're all Urban Meyer. Standoffish. Uh, yeah. Nick Saban. They all have this thing, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, that – uh, less miles the people don't like or want to not like and 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 Mullen's great and all that but um I'm not sure if there's a coach out there I like I dislike more than him <laughs> this is interesting this was a, a side road that I didn't expect to get well, on let me tell so. you why I mean let me tell you the, well there's a couple there's a couple things and I'm not gonna tell you one of them um but the one I'll tell you and there's more than a couple but there's two big ones one I'm not gonna tell you but the one I will tell you is it's kind of a two-parter and if people don't like this, you know, I mean, it's raining outside. And if you think the sun's shining, good for you. But the COVID thing was real this year. And Mullen was like, let's fill up the swamp. I want 90,000 people in there. Let's fill it up. Yeah. Like, you idiot, don't say that. 
And then two days later, he, he tests positive and damn near have his roster test positive, which doesn't make me happy, but it just kind of shows like, you idiot. You want 90,000 people in there? Florida man? What are you, an idiot? And then, and then who, I forget who the team was. Florida was playing. I think it might have been LSU. I forget, but they had a brawl on the field, maybe before the game. And Dan Mullen is like going to the crowd and waving his arms for more. I want get fired up. He like comes out of the tunnel and waves him like a pro wrestler. Like get louder, get angrier. Like how about you be a leader of men and calm your players down who are just acting like buffoons on the field? How about you do that instead of playing Hulk Hogan? You're not Hulk Hogan, Dan Mullen. You're an idiot, but you're not Hulk Hogan. Sorry. There are a lot of personality types with coaches, and my least favorite one is the meathead kind of frat boy hey we're going to war that guy is that's my least favorite and he's always struck me as one of like those guys you know and i think shiano in a way is that guy too like dive at the ball while they're taking a while they're taking a knee like no no let up and it's ridiculous dude the game's over these not everybody in the 60s decided you know hey rub dirt on it if your leg hurts rub if your head hurts you got hit hard rub dirt on it you just got dinged not everybody was that way but the meatheads were and you know that Molinciano were like the rub dirt on it guy. Would have been. And would have would have like he- withheld water from their team for three weeks of practice because that'll make you tougher. You know, that's who they are. There's a coach right now on my radar that I don't really like a lot, although I Ryan Dable, Ohio State. Um, you know, I look at him as a human being. Like I look at Molinciano and I don't want them as a next door neighbor. Like I don't even like how you look. I don't like you. On sight, you look like a bad guy. Ryan Day on site looks like a decent guy. Like, he looks like a guy that if you saw him walking down the, the aisles at Walmart, you'd never dream he's the head coach at Ohio State. He just looks like a regular guy. But he was the idiot, and he's a smart guy, but he was the idiot who was saying before the BCS or before the CFP playoff championship is let's go down there and, and, and finish off the greatest story ever told or something like that. And he's, he's thinking of himself as we're underdogs. We only played six games this year, and we overcame COVID, and – and this is the greatest story ever if we end up winning the national championship despite our – and I'm thinking, no, 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 no. You're the, the the coach of the team that said, basically, if the Big Ten won't play, if they care too much about my players' health, that's the only reason they're going to do it. But if they care about my players' health so much that they won't let us play, we're going to go to the SEC. And then that fell through. Of course, it didn't happen. But that's what he was saying. And then, and then he took such great care of his program that they had an outbreak, including himself – and they missed two or three games. And because they missed those games, um, and I'm not mad at them for the outbreak, but I'm just saying they, they they didn't take care of it, had an outbreak, missed a bunch of games, didn't qualify for the Big Ten Championship game, but then were given a, a pass anyway. And and he's trying to act like this is the greatest story ever told. No, you dumb A. If you guys win the National Championship, that's going to be the worst story ever told, you idiot. <laughs> you create these own narratives, though. All coaches do. I'll give him a little bit of a break because coaches and players always do this. Us against the world, and you guys said this, or you guys said that, and then I'm thinking to myself while I'm standing at somebody's locker, nobody ever said that. Like, people just, they they conjure up these things in their head about what people are saying that, that aren't even true to try to fire themselves up or fire their team. Like, whatever, I, I don't care as much about that. But I, I get where you're coming from. It, it I always just kind of laugh it off. Um, let's get to a coach that we do like in Frank Reich, who... Um, a lot of people weren't happy with with that game in Buffalo. I, I think we can sit here and admit, Greg, that Buffalo is a better team than the Colts. But my problem is, is that the Colts outplayed them, I thought, on Saturday and had a lot of chances to win that game. And unfortunately, I think there was some mishandling of, of those 
situation. I think you and I are going to disagree on some of the situations and, and the calls, but there were some things that I had a, an issue with with Reich. But what about you? Well, one thing that's interesting about that game is that one of the biggest reasons people are down on Reich, um, I think, certainly it colored your view of the rest of the day, was when he went for two um, down 14, I think it was. Yeah. And and it blew everybody's mind. And, and it blew mine, too. Um, but then I, there are, you can go online and look up dissertations and look up statistical analyses and things. And, and that is stat- statistically proven that that actually works out better. It works out better than, so than going for one. And in the long run, they went for two anyway, got the points back. So it really didn't matter because they would have kicked an extra point later had they kicked one then. So in the long run, that didn't cost them the game at all. It didn't have any impact on anything. But it was still the the kind of the lightning rod moment for most people. But then again, the the run on on, on third and one, um, yeah, it wasn't his finest game. Look, running for it on third and one, going wide, and then on fourth and four, deciding to throw it anyway, and the uh, the the field the the timeout they lost because they challenged a play that everybody watching at home knew. Yeah, was, I don't know what that was either. Yeah, so it wasn't his, it was not his finest moment. And I wrote an entire column saying they, I didn't quite say he lost them the game. But I said the Colts overall gave this game away, and coaching was a big part of it. So, what do we not agree on? I think uh, I, I thought that you wanted that them to kick the field goal instead of the fourth down pass play that came after the toss lost yards. Oh, a lot of people wanted to take the, take the points. So it was fourth it would have been four? thirteen and seven, right? Thirteen to seven would have been the score had they taken the the short field goal. Fourth and four, I say I say go for it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fourth and goal from the four. Yes, they should have kicked the field goal, especially because you're. They, they were at the one or the two. I mean, they were. They had. It was their fourth the chance. They won. Yeah, yeah. First and they, goal to one. They, and they called three bad plays in a row. I thought they they had three finesse plays in a row. They got the best offensive line or one of them in football. And yeah, Costanzo was hurt, but still, Bill has been pretty good. Um, and they they do a finesse pass to Trey Burton. They did a finesse play with with Hines Ward uh, with I'm sorry Hines Ward Naheem Hines they did a finesse run wide with Jonathan Taylor like three times in a row they went away from their strength and then you're gonna go for it on fourth and four no thanks I've never been a football coach but I've never understood why you would run a toss play when all you need is a yard why would I throw the ball backwards three yards to gain one yard why would I you know what I mean like I, I guess the the wisdom is is that you get it's a full head of steam, but that play made no sense to me at all. Like I thought that, and I thought that was a game-changing mistake, Greg. Because if it's seventeen-seven there, I think it changes the entire complexion of the game. And I think that's what Reich's thinking was. I, I think his feeling was, we're full from landing a real uppercut here. I've got to. La- I don't want to land a jab. I want to land an uppercut. And that's why I defended it because I, I I thought that at that time you had to be thinking to yourself, okay, Buffalo's. I got to get to thirty somehow. That's how I'm going to win this game. And if you're going to do that, you know, kicking 25-yard field goals probably isn't going to get you to 30. But but I understand where people are coming from because after they lost yards on the third down play, it was just kind of demoralizing to then try to go for it four full yards away. That's kind of why it was like – and I don't know how much momentum works in the mental aspect of this thing for, for players. I, I couldn't possibly know. But I know that it seems like if you get taken three shots at it and you're getting smushed – and your third shot is terrible, both teams are like, one team's ready, and the other team's just kind of hoping it works. If you're the team that's hoping it works, then do something else. Do a play that'll make you ready. And you kick a field goal, you'll be ready. Um, Two things. One is, I know that Reich was thinking that the way that scheme was drawn up for Taylor, 
what he was thinking was they get the ball wide to Taylor because they because um the defense was bunched up in the middle. They thought get the ball wide to Taylor, and worst comes to worst, he's got one guy he's got to take on. You know, probably will have one guy. They, and Taylor's been so good, they like their odds of Taylor one on one with anybody. Um, it just didn't work out that way for whatever reason. It, Five guys went wide. I mean, it's kind of weird how it worked out. The other thing, though, we saw over the weekend, and I tweeted this out, and it's one of the more impactful or one of the more engaged tweets I've sent in a long time, is I just pointed out on Sunday, on Monday morning that, that it was interesting over the weekend that Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin both were very conservative at key points. Yeah. Tomlin, you know, punting down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, fourth and one near midfield, and he punted. Like Wright goes for that in the first drive of the game. Yeah. Tom had punted, and it, and it cost them. They never had a chance. And then Mike Vrabel did something similar. I forget what it was, but something similar. He punted late in the game near midfield, fourth and one, thinking we're going to hold and get the ball back. They didn't hold, and they, the, the game's over. So you had two coaches just being crushed for being way too soft. And then you got Wright just going for it like a, like a, like a drunken gunslinger, like walking into the OK Corral and just shooting everybody. <laughs> I mean, that's right, just shooting everybody. And of the two, who would you rather? Obviously, we all want a perfect coach. We want our coach to make the right decision every time. Given that that will never happen, which side are you willing to err on? Do you want the guy that's Mike Tomlin, or do you want the guy that's Frank Reich? And I know I think we all want Frank Reich over, in that moment, Mike Tomlin. How about this to make it even more relatable to our audience? Who do you want calling and making those decisions, Frank Reich or Chuck Pagano? Because Reich used to do that. Pagano played scared all the time. He played not to lose. And, and I'm totally, I, I think you stated that perfectly, Greg. I'm totally with you. And that's why I've defended the missteps for Reich and why I'm still confident that he's the guy because his philosophy is right. His philosophy is how you win in the NFL in the 2020s. And some of these guys are from like, you know, we talk about meathead coaches and all that. Some of these guys are from like 1985, man. And you know what I mean? And look, I'm not saying that you need to go get a binder and have analytics to every single decision for you, but it's good to weigh those things and probabilities because – uh, for me, there was a Giants game last year where I think it was uh, Bob McAdoo or whoever was their coach before Joe Judge decided to go for two down down eight. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? And then somebody's like, well, you know, the chances of failing consecutive two-point conversions are 25% because they're essentially a coin flip. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, yeah, so might as well go for that. Now we're going to see coaches actually do that. But it, it's it's scary for people because it fights against decades of conventional football wisdom, you know? I like that you you think the coach's name of the Giants is Bob McAdoo. <clears throat> and the only thing I can tell you, I don't think I can tell you is it's not Bob McAdoo. I can't tell you what it was because I don't know who he was either. I just know it wasn't oh, Bob God. McAdoo. It was something like that. Do you yeah. remember his name now? I think it was Ben McAdoo is what ben it was. McAdoo. Yeah. Ben McAdoo. Okay. So you, you, you dropped a Heinz Ward and I dropped a Bob McAdoo on this show. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, we've been over Brian Hoyer and Bobby Hoyer and Bobby Hoying, and I'm still not sure which one's which right now. Thank God whoever he is doesn't play for the Colts anymore. We've been over that, right? <laughs> yeah. And I get his name's wrong, and I, I got it wrong in the lead. I did a feature on that guy, Brian Hoyer, I think it is. I did a feature on him like two days after he arrived in, in, in town last couple years ago, whenever that was. And in my feature, in the lead, I called him the wrong name. In my lead, and it ran online. We put it online. and I, wow. And it's... I caught it like, oh, my God, I did it again because it's a mistake I know I make, and I still made it. Well, same thing happens. I now – and I think I've done it with you on this show. I've done – I've confused Ryan Tannehill with Blaine Gabbert. Have I not? Uh, did you I, – I remember you dropping a Blaine Gabbert reference, but I don't remember Tannehill being part of that. But that, that might be right. I, 
yeah. I promise you, if I've dropped a Blaine Gabbert reference, and I have, <laughs> I was referring to Ryan Tannehill. Okay. I confuse them all the time. And then from the game, um, oh, from my story on Philip Rivers and why he's the guy the Colts, you know, he's going to be their quarterback next year, and it makes sense. And don't tell me he's too old and slow, although he is. He's younger than than Breeze and Brady. And look at the quarterbacks in the playoffs right now. Yeah, there's a handful of them can really run, and there's a handful of them can't run at all, and mm-hmm. not just Breeze and Brady. And I, and I mentioned there's like, oh, here's all these quarterbacks that are in charge of playoff teams. There's not a track star in the bunch of this group of seven names. And I put Blaine Gabbard in there. And uh, Matt Newell, my boss, you know, he emails me and says, hey, just you know Gabbard's the backup to Brady. He didn't lead him. I'm like, I wrote, I, I meant the guy in Tennessee. I, I guess it's Tannehill. Whoever he is, that's the guy I meant. I make that mistake every time. That's so funny. And I don't think Blaine, Blaine Gabbard, did he start against the Colts? Remember the Colts in 2018 had to go to Nashville and they had to win to get in the playoffs? Don't ask, and me, don't ask me that. It was a primetime game. It got flexed to Sunday night. You must remember this. It was two years ago. And I feel like I feel like Blaine Gabbert was the starting quarterback for the Titans in that game. But he started with the Jaguars, of course. So that's where we became familiar with Blaine Gabbert here. But I'm, is, I'm like 90% sure that Blaine Gabbert started that game for the Titans in 2018. Is that why I think Ryan Tannehill is Gabbert? Because the Titans Probably. one time had Gabbert? I think I'm I'm like 90-ish percent sure that Blaine Gabbert started that game. He was he was the backup to Mariota, and I think Mariota got hurt and couldn't play Week 17, and Gabbert started for Tennessee. You know, and I covered the the Marlins a long time ago for the for the Miami Herald when they had a catcher whose name I think is Charles Johnson. In fact, I'm sure it is Charles Johnson, catcher yeah. for the Marlins, African American guy. I remember him. Played at UM Miami back in the day. Anyway. I've tweeted about the Detroit Lions uh, receiver who's mainly been retired since Twitter's been around, but I've tweeted about Calvin Johnson a whole bunch. And every time I tweet Calvin Johnson, I call him Charles Johnson every time. And every time I'm preparing a tweet, I tell myself, don't get this wrong. He's, and I tell myself, he's Charles Johnson. And I'm always wrong every time. So I don't know if that's a mental illness. I, I don't know what that is, how you can have the same guy's name wrong every single time, but I do it every time with a handful of guys. It's crazy. It's Apparently, it's rubbing off on me as well with my Bob McAdoo. Um, let's fit in some hoops, Greg, because uh, before we wrap up today, uh, IU and Purdue renewing their rivalry on Thursday. Pacers so far kind of disappointing in this Western road trip. They've got another one tonight. We're taping this on Tuesday against Golden State, so I don't want to get too heavy into the Pacers because it'll sound dated. But uh, kind of where we are with Indiana, Purdue, I, I think Indiana, not turned the corner, but it feels like Indiana's starting to figure some things out, albeit, you know, Nebraska, I think, is the worst team in, in that league, and you know, Penn State and Maryland are okay. They, those aren't great teams, and they barely survived Penn State. I thought they should have won against Wisconsin. And then Purdue, I thought, got a, just a, a huge win for them with that comeback and victory at Michigan State, kind of in a free fall this season. You know what's interesting is that Purdue and IU have the exact same record, 8-5, and 3-3, and three. exact same record. And the Big Ten is not – we thought in the preseason, everybody said it, that the Big Ten is – the best league in the country. And it might be, might still be, but in the preseason, it was like there there might be 12 or 13 teams deserving of a bid. They won't all get it, but that's how good they are. And that's because no one thought Maryland would fall off a cliff. And no one thought Penn State would stink like they kind of do. Um, so I, I'm not sure how many teams are going to get in. It'll be a lot, but my point is IU and Purdue are trending in a way where this game's almost like an AFC South tiebreaker. You You better win this game because I'm not sure you're both getting in. I'm not sure either one of you is getting in, but I feel pretty confident that barring a a surge, they're not both getting in. 
So someone better win this game thinking that this is the tiebreaker we need. So I don't know how you feel about that. I looked on Monday and Purdue was, I think, one of the last teams in with Lenardi and Indiana was like a 10 or 11 seed. So they're both kind of teetering on the fringe there of the NCAA tournament. Um, I don't think they'll not get in. I'd be surprised if both of them fell out. But I, I think there's if you're asking me what's the best chance, both get in, only one gets in or both get left out. I think the best chance is just one gets in. But I, I, I still think that there's a better chance that both get in than both get left out to me. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just being a homer. Um, but I'm, I'm really optimistic that both Indiana and Purdue, because they're young and, and the growth that they're going to have, are going to be better basketball teams six weeks from now than they are right now. I do like them both in that regard, yes. And and Armin Franklin, you know, he's got an ankle and and in theory he could not return this year. I mean, I doubt it. I'm sure he'll be back in a few weeks. But – Ankles can be bad, and they can be, and you can re-injure them. So, you, you know, and Armin Franklin is their second-best player. So that is huge for IU. And they almost beat Wisconsin without Franklin, which is really remarkable. Yeah. But then they they go to Nebraska, Nebraska, and Nebraska's terrible. I mean, that's that's a bad, bad team. That's a terrible, terrible – I watched that game on TV like a lot of people, and they're terrible. And IU had almost a 20-point lead, had all the momentum, playing a terrible team – and weren't leading with seven or eight minutes left. And they ended up winning, obviously, by eight. But just like, like wow, they almost beat Wisconsin. That's really good. This was, wow, they almost lost to Nebraska. That's kind of bad. So I, I'm not bullish on them yet. I'm not down on them. To me, they haven't decided what they're going to be yet. And, that, and and that's mainly because Al Durham and Rob Finnessy kind of, we don't know what they are. They're not Devontae Green level of erratic because neither one could be that good, frankly, or that bad. Devontae Green was like zero or 10. He was nothing in between. Durham and Fennessey are like threes and sevens, and you just don't know which one you're going to get. No, it, their guard plays, is it's all over the place. And um, it's really disappointing, Greg, that they just haven't, they have, you know, Armand Franklin is one, certainly, but they just haven't developed any shooters. Like, when's the last time Indiana had shooting? I mean, my God, do you have to, do you have to go back to like, I guess you have to go back to like the Feral, the last Feral team in 16, probably. The last time that they really had capable guys that could shoot outside, and, and you just you just haven't had that. And I, I think they're incapable of style points. Like it's it's painful to watch Indiana because it's just Archie Miller's style. It's not it's not offensive basketball. It's offensive to watch their offense, <laughs> but that you know that's his his OMO is games fifty seven fifty two, which is fine, but it really kind of slaps it up. Um, but but still, I I think I do think. My bar is not very high for Indiana, but I, I think that they're showing a little bit of growth here. You know, winning three out of four for them is probably pretty good considering where they've been. Yeah, their their lack of shooting right now, you know, Christian Lander, I think, will be good. But I, I think that I can see it plain as day. He His first couple games against real opponents, you know, he's just not big enough and all that. And he's a year younger than everybody else. And in some cases, three, four, five years. He's just not ready. He he In hindsight, in hindsight, so easy. But he did himself a disservice by graduating a year early. Um, then again, this high school year is kind of – who knows if he's even going to finish. But Christian Lander's not ready. I think he might be a really good shooter, but he's not ready, and it's in his head, and he can't shoot at all right now. I mean, he can't shoot at all. He made one shot the other night, banked in a three-pointer, and it wasn't the first time he's done that this year, and didn't play again. Anthony Leal, for a Mr. Basketball guy from that city – the only time I've ever seen him shoot and thought that looked good is when it's late in the shot clock and there's no time. 
and he just has no choice. That's when he actually shoots it and he looks good. But when he's just kind of in the flow of the offense and he's got time and he's got to make the decision, am I going to be the one taking the shot in this possession or am I going to move the ball? His shot looks bad. It doesn't look good. And Trey Galloway can't shoot at all. And I love no, his no. I love the way he attacks, but he can't shoot. So are you they recruited guys that I, I don't know. I don't know how you consistently every year don't get great shooters. But Purdue, I, I like their piece. We haven't talked about them nearly enough or really at all, but I like their pieces a whole lot. I mean, I, I can't decide which one I think is going to be better. Jaden Ivey, Brandon Newman, or Morton when he you know grows into his body a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, they've got, and I'm probably leaving somebody out, they've got some really nice young players, really nice young players. Yeah, and I think the, the difference is, is that you're confident that those guys are going to get better because Matt Painter always makes those guys better. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and, and you know, no offense to Archie. I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out what's going to happen here with Archie, and I'm, I'm giving him a lot of rope here, but we just don't know. You know what I mean? I, I don't know that Archie Miller is the guy for Indiana, whereas Matt Painter very clearly is the guy for Purdue and, and has the track record to back that up, and, and Archie doesn't. So that's why I just have – you know, de- depending on it doesn't matter who the names and faces are. I, I usually have more confidence in Purdue's young players developing into something because I've seen it and and it always happens that way. And if they don't like no gel Eastern, they just leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it wasn't right. meant to be, you know, they, they weren't supposed to be part of that program, I guess. Yeah. Um, kind of like at Notre Dame, sorry, but at Notre Dame, Mike Bray brings in guys and every year they come to the Crossroads Classic, and every year I'm looking up their stats, and every year I'm like, wait a minute, that guy's averaging 15 a game? I remember when he didn't play it. I mean, like every they, they always have guys that do the thing that you kind of think they might do. Bad freshmen, play a little bit of sophomore, become greatest juniors. That Bray does that to everybody. Um, Purdue, almost Aaron Wheeler is kind of the one exception. Like, whoa, yeah. what happened to Aaron Wheeler? But I... everybody else gets better markedly every year. Aaron Wheeler like broke last year and he's yeah. never put himself back together. And, and I'm afraid you know, Christian Lander. I'm afraid Christian Lander that's happening to him right now. Yeah. And I and I hope that's wrong. But I, I Christian Lander's broke. I mean, he's not just young and not ready. He's not he's broke. And I I, I don't know if you put a guy like that back together again playing the Big Ten at IU, but I, I hope so because he's a sweet kid. Yeah, I'm still hopeful for Wheeler too. At least he he he's made himself useful in other areas, but the shot, you know, hasn't been great. Uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to um, and I know you've won Indiana Sports Writer of the Year what, what, three times. Yeah, you won it last year, right? Uh, two years ago. I don't know. Three. Okay. I've won three of them. I don't know when. <laughs> you won one fairly recently, I feel like. Uh, yeah, but anyway, um, congrats to Kyle Nedenrip, who I just I've known for many many years, and I, I just think the world of, and he is guy when it comes to Indiana and especially Indianapolis, but just statewide, Indiana high school basketball and football and a well-deserved honor for him. Yeah, I, I've been at several newspapers in my career, several, and I've never seen a guy that who can in that role, the preps writer, who is that good a reporter, has that kind of connection to everybody likes him and is also that great of a writer. Because usually, and just it's just the way it works in our business, not always, but usually, you know, high school writers are, there's one, of, there's two kinds. There's the young ones, you're just starting out, I was, you start out as a high school writer, then you're, if you're good, you move on. Or there's other high school writers that just kind of, they're not great, and so they do it for 40 years. Because, it, you know, it's it's their niche, and and, and, and they're, they're good, they're just not great. You don't see a talent like Kyle Nedrip 
stay in that role. He just, you know, and the star for years, I, I think we've quit trying, but for years, I know we've asked him to cover this team or that team or that franchise or, you know, whenever there's movement, the first call we make is, hey, Kyle, you, you want to do that? And like, no, he, he's good where he is. And he's great where he is. And I'm impressed and proud and happy that the state sports writers, whoever votes on that, I don't even know who it is, but whoever votes, they got they picked a good one. Yeah, he's a great dude. Uh, just wanted to give him a shout out at the very end of this. Uh, Greg's columns, you can check out. Uh, you, you've got the Costanzo thing. Is it live now, or is it about it's to up. be live tonight? Okay, Costanzo's up. And as I as I said in my story, Costanzo's never made a Pro Bowl, but I know who he is as a person. His Pro Bowl recognition is coming in in his post playing career. Yeah, and a great, great dude, for sure. Uh, IU Nebraska, bringing back Phillip Rivers, Malcolm Brogdon, everything and anything you can check out, IndyStar.com, like, subscribe, and the Doyle and Derek podcast comes your way every Tuesday. We'll talk to you next week, Greg. Thanks so much, man. Every day you say like and subscribe. I'm like, what are you talking about? You you like tweets, but you subscribe here. I'm not sure what you're talking about. But, and we've never talked yet about your career and how, what's going on. And oh, that's right. I'm, I'm, okay. Warren Schultz. Tuesday nights, iscsportsnetwork.com, uh, Comcast Channel 81. You can also check it out Wednesdays is when it debuts on Comcast. And hey, then hey. we up on YouTube every Friday. And it's also in podcast form, so you can listen to it iTunes, uh, just like this, Stitcher, um, Spreaker, Spotify, all that stuff. I, my preferred app is Parlor. I can't wait to hear it on Parlor. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just I'll just we'll just leave on that note. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that sound you heard was a tomato hitting the wall. <laughs> See you later, Greg. Bye.